well, this morning uh, we're going to talk about Mark chapter 4. Uh, Mark chapter 4 comes after there's been a lot of uh, big things that have happened. Uh, and I won't summarize them all. You can listen to them uh, in the previous messages if you haven't been here. But essentially Jesus says, I've come as the king, uh, repent and believe and the good news about God that he's entered the story. Uh, then Jesus uh, goes about transforming people's lives. Uh, and then uh, last week what we saw is that people respond to Jesus. And they respond in a variety of different ways. Uh, some say he's evil. Some say he's crazy. Uh, some say, okay, I'll follow you. Like those are kind of these big buckets of how people respond. Mark chapter 4 uh, comes at us, and it's just like a day in a life. This is what it looked like to follow Jesus. Those people that said, yes, I'll follow you. I'll go where you're, you're wanting to go. I'll be close to you. Uh, I'll do that. Chapter 4 is, this is what a day looks like. And it starts with him uh, teaching these parables, these stories, uh, that they are the kind of story that you actually think about for a long time afterwards, uh, where you could remember these little nuances. And then over and over again, the more you consider the story, these parables, the more you uh, see about what God's doing. Uh, one of the parables was uh, about this soil and this sower, this farmer, who goes out and he casts seed uh, all across uh, the, the ground. Uh, not like a very precise a farmer because he throws some seed on the road and the sun scorches and it burns up. He throws some seed into the thorns uh, and those don't grow either. They grow a little bit then they get choked out. Uh, and some seed uh, gets thrown on good soil and it grows deeply and it's really wonderful. Uh, they are fruitful. Hundred, tenfold, you know, multiplication of their fruit. That's, that's the first story that Jesus tells his disciples who've said, I want to follow you. And then afterwards they say, what did that really mean? Jesus says, oh, let me explain it to you. So the, 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 so, the seed that gets thrown on the, the hard soil and gets burned up instantly, that's like the, the message goes out, but some people, as soon as they hear it, the, the lives of the world, the enemy, the, the evil just takes it away and it doesn't grow at all. And then the seed that gets thrown into the thorns, it's, it grows really great for a while, but then it gets choked up by the concerns and the worries of the world. Uh, and they don't grow anymore. And then the, soil, or the, the seeds that fall in the good soil, they hear the word, they receive it, and they, they thrive with it. Um, that's the, the whole parable. This is what it means. Uh, kind of re- reiterating, there's these responses to the message that I'm giving. Then he tells this parable about a lamp that you wouldn't put under a basket Instead of putting it on a basket, you would put it up high so people could see. It's like, that makes sense. Like, that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what Jesus is like. You put him up high so he can be seen, so he can be known. He tells another agricultural story about just the seed that grows. You know, you put a seed in the ground. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And then you come back and it's grown a little bit. And then the next day you come back and it's grown some more. And over the seasons, you see it get to be really big and fruitful. And nobody really understands what's happening. It's just sort of mysterious. I mean, that's why I like gardening. You like put things in the ground and then things continue to like come out. And I know it's like, how did a squash come from a seed? It's really, I mean, it's kind of bizarre. I know some of you are wicked smart and you know exactly how. But what Jesus is saying is there's this unseen thing that's happening. 
Like, no one around can see it, and there's these subtle, tiny changes. And unless you're going to it every day, observing the tiny little degrees of change, you wouldn't really notice until there's a bunch of fruit. The kingdom of God, he says, works that way. And that's, maybe that's how it's worked in your own life, too. Like, oh, wow, I look back years later, and all of a sudden there's fruit, but in the moment it felt like there was no, no growth at all. And then he tells this parable of a mustard seed, which is a small-ish seed, uh, it's, you know, it's about like that big. Uh, it's like a little round, it looks like a BB. And, uh, I mean, maybe you've had mustard, ground mustard. That's what's in it. That's what Jesus is talking about, that kind of seed. Uh, he puts that in the ground, and then it grows, and then it provides shade and fruit for this whole garden. Even the birds are hanging out. And he says, that's, the kingdom of God is like that. It can start small, it grows, it's really fruitful, it, it provides shade and habitation for all of these things. And he continued to speak in parables. That's, that's a day in the life. And then the end, we come to particularly today's passage. This is what happens. Uh, in chapter 4, verse uh, 35. And it will be up on the screen. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd... They took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? These disciples, if you remember... Jesus said, come follow me. They followed. Uh, They were listening to the things that he was teaching them. I can only imagine as they were sitting there and Jesus was explaining the parables. They're like, well, thank God I'm the good soil. I'm growing. That's clearly because I'm with Jesus. Uh, And then Jesus comes to them and says, hey, let's get in the boats and let's go over there to the other side. And they get in and they do what they're told and they obey And these people are fishermen, right? Some of them. I mean, some are tax collectors, you know. It's like our missional community went camping this last weekend. Some of us are outdoorsy. Others of us are not. But there was enough outdoorsy people so that we all survived, right? Um, I was one of the outdoorsy (laughs) people-ish. I'm a nerd, but kind of cool. No. But that was the case here. These fishermen, they're great. They knew what they were doing. And they've been on these waters their whole lives. And even them, even in this storm, they go to Jesus full of fear and wake Him up. And what He says back to them is, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it's not like it's a Jonah story, right? Like they, they obeyed. 
Uh, Jonah is the story of this guy who doesn't want to do what God says because it will be painful and hard and frustrating. And so he instead goes the other way. And then there's this huge storm where God gets his attention. He interrupts his rebellion and causes him to actually see God's salvation for what it is. He gets swallowed by a fish. It's really exciting. I'm sure you've heard the story. This is not one of those. They're doing exactly what Jesus says. Uh, Mirel and I have uh, really good family friends. Uh, and this couple, they're amazing. Uh, they met in Mexico. Uh, she's Mexican, he's an American, but he speaks like fluent Spanish. In their early years of, of uh, marriage, they traveled the entire world and would go into these little tribes where people had never even heard the name of Jesus and they would explain who Jesus was. Like they were amazing people. Then they went and got these really great degrees in missiology and sociology. They, got, they were amazing. They got business degrees. Moved to this country in the Middle East where no one is allowed to be a Christian. And they went there anyway and they started a business and they shared the gospel with all of these people. Part of their business was traveling around uh, in desert mountainous regions. Uh, there were wars in this country and yet they stayed and they had children. They had three children. Like, pretty amazing. Uh, that they were like those kinds of people. I mean, sometimes we're like, I don't know if I should raise a child in Los Angeles. These people are raising a child uh, in a pretty brutal place. Uh, at least, you know, I'm, they liked it. But I would never have said, yeah, let's go. Um, it's a secret. That's why I'm not saying where it was. Then uh, what began to happen is uh, the, the religious leaders of this place began kidnapping Americans and Christians and they would never be seen again. And it was just assumed that whoever was kidnapped was also killed um, after some bartering of ransom and stuff. And they found out that, that uh, this guy, he was the next person to be kidnapped. There, were the, there was a bounty on his head. There were some people who were going to get paid a bunch of money if he was the one. So they made the decision to take whatever they had, shove it in some backpacks, and they fled the country. Uh, you know, God provided they were safe, rescued. Then what happened is they, they found themselves in this incredible role uh, in, this, in this large church in Alabama where they began to teach and equip this, all of these people in this church that were coming because the air conditioning was nice and the screen was good and the preacher could like preach really good. And they began to teach all of these people how to spend their lives giving it for the sake of God's mission. They, they continued, even after you would think, oh man, we almost died there, we should retire, you know, in Montana and raise some cows or something. Instead, they spent their lives teaching more and more people uh, how to do this. And they were sending people all over to the point where in this church of thousands, 75% of them would go internationally once a year uh, to share the gospel. Many of them would move completely, they'd even move their businesses to all of these different parts of the world so that they can make uh, a lasting impact in their communities, but also share the gospel. That was their life. It was pretty awesome. Uh, about seven years ago, uh, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And they got the best doctors, the best people. They went in, they, they took it out. He had a steel plate in his head. His part didn't part right anymore, so he had a cooler haircut. Had chemo, all of that sort of stuff. And, and God uh, healed them. And many people praise God. A few years later, the cancer came back. Same thing. Best doctors, they flew all around to these, you know, Mayo clinics or whatnot. And they got uh, better treatment than even the first time. And, and he was healed. 
about six months before we moved here, uh, now as children, like high school kids, uh, again, the cancer came back, but this time, best doctors, best people, all they could, could really offer was the best medication to make it you know, palatable. They gave them six months, and it's amazing how like, accurate people can be. These, these people are so smart. Six months came a, a, a few weeks after we moved here, actually. Uh, this guy who had given his life following Jesus, doing everything that Jesus asked, and uh, died in his bedroom with his children who are in high school and junior high, and his wife and his parents all around, and he died. It just seems like that happens. I mean, you would think this guy, this, this lady, I mean, incredible impact in the entire world. They sacrifice more than other people are even close to considering to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus. Surely God could just give them one, right? And it makes me think of this story because there's this raging storm that's happening and even people are very wise, are sitting in this storm and they're filled with fear and they don't know what's going to happen. And there are people that have obeyed and that have followed. It would make sense, I think, for us if the people that are really bad are in the storm. But these are really good people in the storm. And they're there with Jesus and they're doing all of those things. I think maybe for you, maybe it's not as intense as you have brain cancer or something like that. But do you ever have that sense that you're following and you're obeying Jesus? You're sacrificing for your neighbors. But what comes instead of like peace and tranquility, it's chaos and more pain and more chaos. I've, I've been a pastor for 10 years now. Really, I guess 11. Uh, I started in October 11 years ago. And by far, the number one thing that I get to shepherd people through Uh, especially when it comes to doubts about if God is good or not, rarely has anything to do with, like, is God really a person who exists? But it almost always has to do with what is God doing in the storm? What is He doing with this chaos? How are we supposed to have faith? What is this faith supposed to look like that Jesus asks them, do you still have faith? None of it. How are we supposed to go through it? I think one idea that that comes up a lot is uh, maybe we're supposed to remember. You know, like, let's have good memories. The problem is, these guys, their problem was they were in the boat and they forgot. They forgot that Jesus had, you know, healed all those people. They forgot how he rebuked uh, demons and they came out. They just forgot. And what we all need to do is just remember. If we could just get our minds around it, and if we could just, for a second, remember, God's always come through. You know, that's even, that's even a common practice in the Old Testament, that God would do something awesome, and they would build this little altar, this little sign, that every time they saw it, they would remember. Like, oh yeah, God did come through. He rescued us. He brought us out of uh, Egypt, we were in bondage, we were in slavery, we walked across the Red Sea, God destroyed the armies of Egypt, and now we're safe. And they, they would build this big monument. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. Even as we, you know, often so much of us, so many of us, work contract to contract in this church. And so regularly we come to the end of it, right? 
And then we're like, oh, I better network and find this next job, right? And I, and I think it's exciting that it seems like God continually provides the next job for people. And then, and then what many of us say is like, I can't believe I doubted it. God's always provided for us in the past. So that's what they should have done. They should have just known. This is who God is. That's what He always does. Except, uh, we all know there's going to be a time when the cancer comes back and it stays. We all know that there's going to be a time where the next job actually doesn't come up just in the nick of time. We know that that will be the case. And it won't in that day, in that moment, be, oh, I guess God didn't really provide in the past. But for some reason, we're in a storm now and the boat is breaking. I think that's why the, hey, just remember what God's done in the past, doesn't really remove the fear at all. I also know other people have said, uh, we just need to adjust our expectations, you know? Um, Ernest Hemingway style, you know? Let's just get real stoic about it, you know? Like, the easy come, easy go, right? Uh, I have a really good friend who's a contractor, and he always just says, that's the way it is. You're like, how can you be so sure that it's, that's the way it is? That that's the way it's supposed to be, that this wall is not straight? Uh, that doesn't seem to make sense. But maybe that's what it is. We just need to adjust our expectations. Just sort of change them slightly. Maybe Jesus is real excited for us to follow Him, but what He's trying to do is accomplish this really big thing, this mission of saving the whole world, and He's excited that we've joined His team and he's going to try to use us, however he can, to the best of his ability, you know, to get to uh, his mission. And he looks at us, and maybe we should just accept this, that we are members of his army, part of his team, and some of us are just going to die. Some of us are just not going to make it. For some of us, he's going to take his eyes off. Sometimes Jesus needs a nap, and we should just be okay with it. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. It's interesting, the disciples come to him first when they wake him up and he's asleep on a cushion. They go to him and they say, Teacher. They say, Don't, do you not care that we are perishing? They say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I think it's just an interesting series of questions. Like that's a, they go to him, and I mean, it makes sense. He's taught all day these stories. I mean, they could have said, storyteller, don't you care that we're perishing? But they say, teacher. And then I think they ask the question that really hangs over this whole conversation, which is, does Jesus care? Like, does Jesus care in the hospital room? Does he care when your bank account is almost up? Does he care that you're under crippling debt? Does he care that things are not going well for you? Does he care that your life feels like it's about to break apart and you're going to die? At the end, 
Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And then the very next line says, and they were filled with great fear. It's pretty great. Jesus goes, why are you so afraid? And then it says they were, then they were really filled with some intense fear. The waves were like calm at this point. There was no wind. I'm always thinking, well then, I guess they had to row the rest of the way without the wind. That sounds, maybe that's why they were afraid. They're like, oh man, do we have the muscle? Some of us are tax collectors. (laughs) It's really, I just wonder, maybe the faith that Jesus is asking them and the fear that he's talking to them about is maybe just some other, other kind of fear and faith. When he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Because the last thing that the disciples say, after they're filled with great fear, is they talk to one another and they say, who then is this? Before they were really confident. Teacher, you know. Now, they're wondering, who is this person in front of us? who commands the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Who is this person? Because up until this point, you could think, well, he's a great king, he's a great teacher, maybe ultimately he's going to be a really great sacrifice, but now, like, who who gets to tell the wind and the ocean and the very, uh, you know, cosmos themselves what to do who gets to speak that way and and get obedience like what it's fascinating jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples this word rebuke means to change to say something of you need to change you need to stop you need to do this that's what a rebuke is jesus rebukes the wind and the waves you need to change you need to stop and then the, the sea stops, and it's still. But that, for the disciples, I believe, when it says they were filled with great fear, is they're realizing that the person who's standing in front of them is not someone that they've ever encountered before, or not just a better version of themselves, but they're actually encountering the one who holds the very cosmos together. As, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, it's by him and through him that the whole world is made and is held together. And that is fear. The sustainer, the builder, the whole universe is like made through him and by him. He was the word that that was spoken that even created the universe. And there he is in their boat with them. And that, for them, is a greater fear-inducing thing than waves crashing in and water filling up the boat. That God has been walking amongst them. That was their big fear. I think there's also the question of who is this in front of us? Why is he here? If that's who he is, what's he doing with us? In Philippians 2, Paul writes that that Jesus gave up his status 
as the Son of God living in heaven in a perfect, restored world. He surrenders that, comes in the form of a man, enters into our world, and and Paul says that's what humility and leadership is all about. He gives up his entire life. He surrenders all of the, the divine attributes that are at his disposal. He comes into this world as God incarnate, and he spins it in a boat with these people who are afraid of waves. Maybe the faith that he's asking for is, is not about what we are, you know, like, but I'm good, I'm good soil, right? Maybe the faith that he's asking them to, to think about is not, remember what I've done for you in the past. Maybe the faith that he's asking them for is, is about who he actually is. Is he really the creator of the world? The sustainer? Is he God? And also, is he the one that has surrendered everything? The, the Gospel of Mark was the first Gospel uh, written. I can say that with tons of confidence. Uh, first one written. All the others have copied or taken from, from Mark. I mean, he has a huge copyright beef, particularly with Matthew and Luke. But they expanded on it, so it's okay, you know? It's like when someone remakes Lord of the Rings in a few years and they make it like a 20-hour thing. Uh, I guess Amazon's doing that. It's not really copying. It's just expanding on the work that was already there. But I think that it's interesting knowing that it was copied or that it was kind of the baseline message about Jesus. Because when John writes the Gospel of John, he puts within it this uh, key phrase that we all know, maybe, perhaps, where it says that God so loves the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John was in this boat. One of the people asking, Jesus, do you not care that we perish? Do you not care that we're going to die? The cross of Jesus is the complete sign that God does, in fact, care if you perish. There's never been a clear sign or clear picture of anything else in the world. It's the, it's the greatest marketing campaign ever done. When you see the cross, you know God cares if you die. God cares if you perish. The last half of that is you will have eternal life. Instead of perishing, you have life abundant forever, now, always. Does Jesus care if you perish? He even rises from the dead a few days later. It's this big event. God not only cares, but God restores. It's very interesting, the very last phrase of the Gospel of Mark is about that the, pe- the first people that witnessed the resurrection in the empty tomb left full of great fear. Who is this person that died and rose again and curved back the laws of the universe that we're all supposed to die? This is the good news. That's the faith that they didn't really have. They didn't have faith that the God who is with them in the boat is enough. They didn't have faith, they didn't understand that that the God sitting there asleep on the cushion, his story was going to advance no matter what. 
the, the kingdom of God was not up for grabs. Yeah, their circumstances could totally take them to the bottom of the sea. But his kingdom will still advance. And over that whole kingdom is a phrase that God so loves the world. He doesn't want you to perish. He gave himself up. You know they would know for eternity. If they had that faith, the faith that Jesus is the one that will make them well, he will be the one that will restore their very lives. They lost sight not of what uh, God can do for them, It wasn't that they forgot things. It wasn't that they didn't really interpret who they are. It's really, at the base of it, they forgot who He was. Who is He? Um, Our friend, uh, whose story I shared in the beginning, uh, he was not a preacher very often. Uh, But after he was diagnosed, uh, the very last time, he gave one final sermon. Uh, and in that sermon, he used uh, Hebrews, uh, this passage of Hebrews, that talks about a storm raging, uh, being tossed to and fro. And he, said, and he talked about how Jesus was his sure and steady anchor. At the time of his sermon, he could hardly uh, speak very clearly. Uh, he sat in this chair. Uh, he was already bald. But he kept repeating over and over again, but Jesus is our sure hope. He is our sure and steady anchor. Everything else can come and go, but he is the one that we hope in, that we can seek, that we can belong to. And so I don't have promises of follow Jesus, you'll never encounter trouble. Or make sure you obey Jesus and nothing chaotic will ever happen. What I can say is is what we can do from this is no. You can obey Jesus and still be in the storm. And in that storm, the one who is with you, the one who led you into it, is the one who created the whole thing. And while sometimes Jesus calls the storm to be quiet, you know, we get the job, The cancer does go away. Our debt does get paid off. You know, all of these exciting things that we shared. But even if it doesn't, the answer will always be that He cares and He is with you. It's not just that God is great and able to do something, but God is good and gracious and cares about the very nature of your whole life and your inner being. God is concerned with it. He is your sure and steady anchor. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. It is about your holiness, your otherness, that you are the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, Jesus, we pray that we would uh, yeah, be able to wrestle with this truth. In the moments of chaos, the moments where the pain gets turned up more, I I pray, Jesus, that we would know uh, you as the comforter that comforts and cares and nourishes our lives. Jesus, we pray uh, for our suffering, that you would alleviate it, 
but we also pray that we would trust in your very nature through it all. That we would even have this awe and respect and reverence for who you are, even in the midst of the hardest struggles. Jesus, we thank you for your, for your spirit and how it speaks to us through your word. Amen.